0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Easton. This is the C86 Show. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be the turn of the multi-instrumentalist drummer, artist Sterling Roswell. One-time member of The Spaceman 3 and then... The Dark Sire, but he's still making music as a solo artist, so we'll find out more about that, plus life, love, poetry, all the other groovy stuff. Anyway, after several minutes of very casual chat, it was casual, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Sterling, it's over to you. Well,
1: yeah, around about six or seven years old would have been about the time, but I I had a slightly, because I was, although I I was, Born in um, um, uh, England, my parents emigrated when I was three in 1969. So this, my sort of earliest memories is, is like a boat going to Cape Town,
0: right? Um,
1: and the music there because like pretty sharpish. I was put in like a convent, not like the local school that was just you know not really very um, politically correct. No. So um, I was straight away put in a an Irish mission. Uh, con- convent uh, school, which was great, and the the nuns the, the were all really lovely. You know, they were all teenagers and young twenty somethings, apart from the the, the 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 boss boss lady, who was like really old and quite aggressive. But everyone else was like, oh, was lovely, soft spoken, and and then it was around about the time where like you know the Beatles were just sort of you know it was like 73 1970, 1970, 1970, So there was like stuff like. They were showing, you know, we were, we were singing Beatles songs and learning about Bob Dylan and stuff like that, you know.
0: God, oh, that's very funky. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So that that, and I I wanted to 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 learn how to play something at that that time, but it took me a long time to really, you know. We came back from Africa in uh, nineteen seventy seven and moved back to rugby, where I started, you know, that my first few friends were like culminated in. We we, we we played in bands together and stuff, you
0: know. Yes.
1: Uh, but at school I played bass. At first, you know, I wasn't very really good on guitar. and I, I had a drum at the time, and I still got the drum. It's, my dad bought it for me when uh, we went on safari. It's just like a big old conga drum that's got faces carved into it, like a, a, a sort of, you know, mojo sort of drum, uh, Zulu drum. Um, so I always played that. And then, you know... Um, as a teenager, I played drums in a band, you know. Yes. And that worked out all right for a little while, you know, but it wasn't really, you know, it's not everything that I wanted to always do. I, I like playing drums, you know, but it's not every night of the week, you know. Yes. I, I don't know. I'm certainly not the same thing every night of the week. No, fuck that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and were you, I mean, <clears throat> and were you sort of aware of the kind of current pop charts? Because obviously the Beatles had... Sort of been gone. Bizarrely, not that long ago, because I remember sort of thinking back when I was kind of in that age and thinking, actually, the Beatles had only broken up two or three years, but they'd already sort of gone. You know, by by sort of seventies, didn't have
1: television over there because it was, um, you know, um, they had a what you call it now, um, where they restricted the, um, the, the the the. There was no television for quite a few years. Maybe they brought you know, they brought them in. At the, you know, while I was there, but we didn't really, you know, mum, mum, my yes. mum had, had like some really great records, and um, obviously she bought the Beatles' Red and Blue albums when they came out, but also stuff like um, the Yardbirds and um, Jimi Hendrix and Curtis Knight, right? Uh, you know, um, which I still got. The, 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 it was a really strange thing because. There's a tiny little picture of Jimi Hendrix playing uh, a Gretsch Corvette on the back but I'd never really even noticed because it's about the size of a f- postage stamp compared to the rest of the album. You know, it's just on the back of the album sleeve, The Eternal Fire of Jimi Hendrix and Curtis Knight. And um, years and years later, uh, um, it just through some, not through not, not really any decision of mine, just through some strange thing. When my, na- my, my nan passed, the money that um, I got, I put straight down on a guitar and, and, and it turned out it was exactly the same guitar as as, as the little poster-sized uh, uh, photograph of Jimi Hendrix playing and um, call Corvette, you know. Yes. So I, I ended up like with that guitar. But yeah, I, 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 I was quite lucky, lucky in a way to have, you know, my, my mother plays, you know, she plays um, cello, piano. She showed me a couple of things on piano when I was very young. I had to play Red River Rock by Johnny and the Hurricane. She showed me how to do that.
0: <laughs> God, you had you had such funky parents.
1: Well, yeah, they kind of were funky. We were kind of yeah. It was it it was was a strange thing because, um, yeah. In those days, you used to be able to get for it in supermarkets like bags of brown paper a brown paper bag of like ten seven inch singles inside it, and you wouldn't know what was in it. You know, for you know in a, in a supermarket sort of bin, you know, like yes. bargain bin. I, I I got one of those uh, in about oh it 1972 or something, and um, that that was like my first record. And there was a few good things. There was a version a version of all the young dudes on it, but not by um, either Bowie or um, what, what's he,
0: what's called Monty
1: the yeah. It was like by a local version of it. Um, the name of the band But also that that in that bag was um. Jimmy Castor bunch, um, Troglodyte, and, um, and you know those sort of really fuzz tone funky things. It's kind of like, um, uh, what's the, it's, it's been sampled forever by like just about all those early hip hop bands, and it's going kind of like, right now we're going back, way back, back into time. Oh yes, it's African <laughs> yeah. Barbata,
0: and people like that yeah. used to sort of love to sample. Yes, yeah.
1: Jimmy Castor, um, and I got the seven inch. In, uh, um, when I, yeah I must have been like sort of six or seven yeah I've got that as well you know th- those are those are my sort of, you know being a teenager as well I got very into like um the cramps and, and rock and roll and like in, in, in you know a lot of the cramps was the cramp the way that the, how I uh, discovered the cramps was totally by chance though by by, by accident because um, I got home from school late and the, the last song on top of Pops had already been announced by uh Kid Jetson or whoever it was. But um I only like managed to get the telly on on halfway through the last song. So didn't know who it was, but it was like this like amazing looking person singing um I Love Rock and Roll. <laughs> and um, so yeah, so like on Saturday with my for saved at dinner, one, I found this record in, the, in 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 the record shop that had a cartoon cover on it. And it sort of looked a bit like, it reminded me of this, and it looked like sort of very rock and roll. And it was The Cramps' gravest hits album with a cartoon cover, you know, like it sort of like looks really sort of spooky.
0: Yes.
1: You know, so, so I sort of got that home, realised it wasn't the, the record that was on, on Top of the Pops, but it was just like really, really good also.
0: <laughs> was that <laughs> so, Pat so. Benatar did? I love rock and roll, wasn't it? Oh God, I can't remember now. Huh? I'm trying to remember who did that single. I love rock and roll. Put another dime in the Jason jukebox. But was it Pat Benatar? Yeah. No, no, no. Um, um, not, is it? Um, oh,
1: fucking hell! I know. It's Not Joan Jett. It's not. Joan oh,
0: Jett. it could be Joan Jett. It's not girl. I kept thinking it was no. It was not Girl School either. Bloody hell, we're doing shit here, okay. aren't we?
1: She's dressed in all in leather and she's playing bass
0: yeah Got sort of sixties like like haircut. <laughs> I don't know. It, was prob- it was probably
1: it was probably seventy nine. No, no, they're not doing that. Who's the other girl that, that she was from Birmingham? What's the fucking name um, That's the thing, see, because I missed the beginning of the show. So, uh, uh, I tell you, uh, like I say, I didn't sleep hardly at all last night. It's fucking toothache.
0: Yes, so, it was Joan Jett and the Blackheads. away
1: for the last two hours has been like quite, quite, <laughs> excuse me if I can't think of her name right. No, but it was actually
0: it is Joan Jett and the Blackheads. <laughs> Do I Love Rock and Roll, 1981. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh. And then a few, probably weeks or months later, they had a girls' school with Motorhead doing Please Don't Touch, I'm Shaking So Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That was amazing as well. That
0: was just genius. We loved that. Anyway, look, we had punk. So I miss punk. You sounded like you miss punk. Because you were a bit too young. Then we had post-punk, and then we trucked into the 70, into the eighties. Did you miss punk a bit, and then get into the Was the eighties your decade? Well, in, as much
1: as yeah, I left Seoul in nineteen eighty-three. Yeah, yes. so uh, I'm probably a couple of years younger than you. Um, I'm, fifty three edition.
0: God you are by three years, so yeah, so I yeah. miss punk completely, really, let's be honest um I was yeah
1: just I, I i I only really caught into it like the first punk record of really of you know the thing that I bought when it came out was the Clash's sandinista album that nice. i bought you know, I bought the other two after you know after buying that one that was the that was the current one that when I first heard about them yes so you know but at that time also like i was you know like really open to reggae and especially into rockabilly and you know blues and jazz as well you know and a lot of stuff i was really lucky my very first girlfriend the first girl i ever had a sweetheart kiss her dad was a truck driver and he used to drive to the, the coast and bring back crates of uh, seven inch records from america
0: climbing so some
1: great things you know got you know, charlie feathers singles and you know, a few things you know like some Stuff that you wouldn't normally find knocking around, you know.
0: Yeah, God, that's quite. At that
1: age, you know, as well, because like in those days, you know, everybody thinks that you know a lot. Well, you know, you remember when there weren't even that many magazines, never mind the fucking internet. You know, if you want to find something out, you had to go and find it.
0: Yeah, you had to go to the library and ask somebody and they'd have to say, Well, we could possibly order it, but it'll be three months later and you think, Okay, that's fine, I'll I'll wait three months. But but things were slow back then in those days. So when the eighties appeared, which was my decade well, vaguely my decade, um Yes, it was exciting because I suppose I I sort of, it was John Peel and then it was buying the NME and then starting to go to gigs and stuff like that. So, And then, you know, we had that sort of post-punk period. But I loved indie pop. But then also with John (laughs) Peel, you know, he introduced the world of hip-hop and rap music and then a lot of the reggae stuff and then the Bundu Boys and the Four Brothers and Thomas McFumo and the Blacks Unlimited. So did you, when were you starting to sort of branch out and listen to different music during the 80s?
1: Well, I, I was like really lucky because I, I got brought up listening to all kinds of music. Um, as from the Rolling Stones and Beatles right through to um, local, local Zulu African um, music, you know, in Cape Town. And then, you know, as a, as a teenager growing, growing up in rugby, um, next door neighbour was a friend of my dad's. And he, 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 he'd been a musician in the 60s, but he'd never let on who who or what. He said the band were called The Oddballs, but I've never found a band called The Oddballs. But anyway, he, he did me some cassettes, uh, tapes of, of stuff like Arthur Brown and, you know, The Kinks and, you know, these kind of things. Donovan, you know, things, things that he, he thought that I might like. You
0: know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I, I've always... It's, it's not like I've... You know, even the stuff that I'm really into, I found by chance. It hasn't been because, you know, I was I was talking about this the other day, the Silver Apples album. When I first um, saw the Silver Apples album in the mid '80s, um, I didn't know what it was and never heard about them or anything. I thought it was going to be a singing drumming band. The way the bats panned out, that it reads left to right and it starts on le- on the left side. Dan Taylor drums and vocals, and then Simeon, Simeon and vocals, so I figured it was a, a drumming band, that's why I bought it, you know, <laughs> it was like a mind-blowing, the most mind-blowing thing ever, actually getting it on the, you know, on, on the center and playing it for the first time, wow, you know, yeah. You know, less than Simeon passed last week, you know, massive respect and thanks for, you know, blowing my mind continuously for 30 years, you know?
0: yes, yeah, Absolutely. So then <laughs>
1: I got to meet him eventually. It was he's so lovely. We well, see him like three times in a row, like a couple of summers ago, and a couple few times in London as he played around, and also went to the south of France to see him play. It was great.
0: Wow, well, that must be quite something, sort of meeting someone like that.
1: Yeah, he's just he's just he's so lovely, you know. And still playing like you know. Well, each time I've seen him, it's been slightly different and.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So were you... So was... Because in a very simplistic way, I had the sort of... The 80s as that kind of indie period between especially 83 to 87, which was the years of the Smiths. Then we had the sort of mainstream charts and that kind of Trevor Horn-esque production sound. And, you know... I saw the
1: Smiths on their first tour when they were opening for Pig Bag and
0: Orange Juice and the Higsons. Oh, the Higsons. They're from Norwich. God, they're one of the (laughs) famous bands from Norwich. Yeah.
1: They, they were awful, they were really, really bad. They, he had his um, flowers in his back pocket at that point even. But no, I didn't, I, well, they, they, it was just uh, they were just excruciatingly, excruciatingly bad. But I never really actually, that's the one thing, I only ever bought one Smith, Smith's record ever. I was only ever felt like felt like the urge to buy one of their one record, the How Soon Is Now, you
0: know, yes. it was
1: just an, an amazing effort. It, if they only ever made that one record, they would be great, you know. But um, none of, none of their other records really seems to match up to that one, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So then how yeah. did you, because your first kind of, were you in many bands during the 80s or were you sort of just... Yeah.
1: Rent? Bands was a big thing in the 80s, wasn't it? I don't know, I suppose it still is. You know, me now, I'm not in a in a band right now, apart from when I, you know, meet up. You know, there's no regular thing anymore. Like you haven't got the time, and that. But you, you know, when you're young, you've got loads of running around to do. Yeah. Yeah. Band. The first band that I played in a, uh, was actually with Natty from um, Natty Brooker. Natty Brooker was vocalist, and um, Gavin from the Cogs at the time on on guitar and crutches. <laughs> um, I didn't do the demo tape though. Tim Morris did the demo tape, but I did the gig um at the biker pub in northampton that was about 1982 i think Uh we sent a tape a cassette to john peel at the time but we didn't hear anything back from him
0: oh that's a bit mean yeah. um uh,
1: it was called the band was called it was it was like pre-spacement three um, and called armadillo hall house and the rockabilly trash we did oh, one gig
0: i'm just amazed john peel didn't pick up on that because he loves those sort of names
1: <laughs> Maybe he did. I don't
0: know. <laughs> yes, but because the other thing about the '80s was the political chart time was quite charged, and a lot of people I've interviewed, you know, especially in the indie pop world, you know, they, they were sort of on the job seekers' alliance, enterprise allowance schemes, and all those kind of things that gave people and an opportunity. Tenor. Gave people an opportunity to be a year sort of, you know, just claiming a benefit, basically. But sort of putting down that they were a self-employed musician or an artist of some description. So were you part of those that kind of world as well, that a lot of people had that slightly bohemian, but slightly poor sort of background? Well, yeah,
1: in a way, yeah. Yeah. Um... I've never really had a, you know, I've, I'm not from, you know, I've, I've, I have no silver spoon. I've got no, you know, I'm not a trust fund kid or anything like that. And I'm, you know, I'm not, and my parents don't own a house, a Hollywood mansion style house, you know. So, yeah, my dad worked in factories his whole life. Um, you know, you won't fool him. You know, that's what he chose to do. Um, so- um, but no, uh well, in the spacemen, space in the spacement I was signing on. And in those days, in the early Thatcher years, you got ET extra tenor if you did something, you know. And I did. Uh, I I I stood up a ladder repairing all the roofs on like scout huts and 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 um, you know like um, um, yeah, all around the the, the county uh, in the summer. I, that was my job that they found for me to do, and then they joined the band, And the band was quite hard actually. It was really hard going because like you know never had any money, and um, the money didn't really start coming till afterwards. Uh, after I I I'd moved on, right. But in the Dark Side, which which I was invited to play play drums again in, um, like the following year, we set up a company and we had a proper record deal and we all had wages. In a van, and you know, and we were gigging constantly, you know, so you
0: know we were doing all right,
1: yes, uh, for a little little while, you
0: know, but you were in the spaceman three for two years and did were on two albums, the perfect prescription and performance,
1: yeah, that's it,
0: yeah, and was that and did that feel like you'd sort of made a bit of a step up in the sort of the musical world from the previous uh bands that you'd been in?
1: well yeah you know we've got we've got to leave leave our, uh, you know we've got to go to Europe a couple of times and um you know played some great gigs, you know, I think I played about eighty or ninety gigs with space military yeah um those two two yeah just over two years um yeah, it was good fun, you know yeah everything you know most of it's been you know documented well you know over the years you know people are still talking about like stupid shit 33 years later
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes did you
1: yeah sorry
0: yeah i was going to say did it feel like you know because because we we always love sort of those kind of putting things in musical boxes don't we all genres did it feel like you're sort of bit of a part of a scene at that time did it feel like you're on a mission at that that particular musical journey
1: well we all had well the mission was to sort of you know to to, to spike the water and reservoir with lsd um and, but, you know, but yeah no there was we saw you know uh, uh, kembra say like we're not psychedelic and i'd be like we fucking are you know? <laughs> You know things like that, you know. We'd have like quite you know, we'd be just sort of bantering the whole time, basically. But you know, we had a lot of, lot of fun, yeah. Sometimes it got out of hand, you know. But, um, and in the end, you know, you, you everyone's read what you know how they what happened eventually, anyway, and how it was documented. And um, it was all you know, it's all pretty stupid, you know. Yeah, what do you expect from a bunch, bunch of space cadets that you know are, Chase, chasing, making music to take drugs to make music to take drugs to constantly twenty four seven. You don't expect that like, much more. You know, the fact that they actually got that we actually got records together and and, and anything together at all actually is a miracle.
0: You know? Absolutely yeah. no. I, it was quite funny because did you ever see those films? There was two obviously ones very well watched. Spinal Tap, but there was also the comic strip did. Um, Bad news, and I remember them sort of having constant arguments about being heavy metal, and 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 uh, the lead singer was saying, "We're well, we're more than heavy metal." And then one of the the other members of the band, who was a bit sort of, I can't remember which character, but he he sort of stopped the man and shouted, "We are heavy metal." It sounded a bit like one of those conversations that they were having because they were trying to always pretend that they were a bit deeper than they were, but obviously, you know, it was just heavy metal. <laughs>
1: Yeah, actually, I've never really been a heavy heavy metal kid. I do know, I, I do know the, the the thing you're referring to, or at least I, I know the the spinal tap one. I, I don't remember the Spitting Image one.
0: Yeah, well, no, um, Comic Strip yeah, with um, Rick Mell and metal um, metal. that particular bunch of people. So when you, so from there, we'd sort of got you'd sort of sort of joined the dark side, which was. um, That did sound good, didn't it? Did it? Yes. Were you quite relieved to be sort of in another band by then?
1: Well, it was it was kind of odd, really, Um, because to start with, the reason why I joined the band, because they had a great singer. He was um, he wrote good songs and he was good front man and he's cute and, you know, nice guy. Um, a friend of mine that I'd known him since I was 11 years old, you know Nick Hayden, um, you know fucking blasted out of the sky, you know, uh, 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 high, high as you like, but um, really really cool guy. And I, I thought that the, the band had more, you know, there, there'd be, there would be, you know, something more, you know, more more um, able to, you know. I like, you know we had like you know when you're young you want you, you used like the Rolling Stones and you know the Beatles as huge yardstick these days, the kids I think they they, they they you know it's football that gets gets the big money these days, but in those days footballers weren't getting paid like this and you but you did hear stories about like you know you had like heroes you know and that made music so you know. But um, I forget what I was talking about now.
0: Yes, they're, they're sort of going into the sort of the next combo, and um, I just wonder what that kind of felt like when you sort of stepped from one band. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: it, yeah, because we it took a while to get to get and um, sign it signed properly, um, to, to so that we actually could afford to do it. You know, um, five of us, and you know, we all it was an it was an equal. You know, we 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 split. It equally down there. There was no, um, you know, the some of the, you know, parts, um, you know, like, but the spacemen were very, very, um, very greedy in a way, like me, mine, you know, with songwriting and stuff like this, you know, you didn't get a look, you know, but no, no one else got a look in. I did. That, I did well. I, I, there was one line in one song that that I that I can say that I wrote with the Space Ministry, and it, they had this line in one of the songs, which was something like, um, "Oh, if heaven's like heroin, that's the place for me." And I was like, "No, no, 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 I'm I'm not with that. I I don't like it, you know, because well, A, I don't, I'm not on heroin, and I I don't, you know, and B, you're also you're you're putting other, you know, because you know some people your heroin might be your heaven, but other people's heaven might be like l s d or you know or just being not you know whatever it is you know so uh, and so that that lane that line was changed at that time um, because I thought it was a a way of making it more more um, you know so that more people could relate to it you know um instead of just like it being a spiral down relating to it like to a, which is basically what a heroin habit is. Spiraling into you know everyone's trying to get off heroin, with methadone and all this stuff, and you know, it takes a long time. Yeah, it's excruciatingly painful, you know. So you know, um, I thought that it was uh, instead of it like being uh, you know it, it kind of changed the whole the, the whole meaning of it, you know, in a way.
0: Were you kind of at that stage? Because I did an, an interview with. Jarbo from The Swans and I think she found it was quite uncomfortable with the way that Michael sort of liked to put these kind of very dramatic kind of lyrics and images and together, you know, and, and I think she felt like actually some people might believe what you're singing here rather than you're just kind of performing this. But, you know, and did you did you ever feel a certain twinge of responsibility that actually some people might take this a bit too literally?
1: well the thing is because what we were singing about was literally what we were doing you know we were we were you know we were wearing our, you know our you know a hearts our sleeves you know the whole time you know talking about drugs talking about um different you know you know ways of living you know and ways of you know that new expression you know um something you know poetic you know poetic you know um, you know, walking with Jesus is a real thing. You know, yeah, happens to a lot. Of people, you know, um, and so like in, in a way, like the cover versions that we were playing. You know, I must have played the thirty four elevators uh, roller coaster like hundreds of times. <laughs> and it's it's like something that really I feel very much. You know, in inside. You know, the, the the way that it. You know, the way that the, the way that the song is. You know. I got to meet Rocky Erickson eventually. He was lovely. Um, He signed my book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Did you, I mean, did you ever sort of feel quite damaged at that time or, you know, sort of subsequently?
1: Fuck yeah, yeah. It took me a long time to even articulate a fucking coherent sentence sometimes. Uh, Yeah, there was was a
0: bit of a, well,
1: you know, I all of us had different reasons why we, why we were like the the fucked up children of the world. I had my reasons, you know, there was, I don't even want to go into it right now, but yeah, we had stuff that had happened, you know, you know, drugs is usually a way of like, you know, distancing yourself away from stuff like trauma that you don't want to have to fucking deal with, you
0: know? Yes. Yes. Violence.
1: Rugby, rugby by, by its very, you know, its very nature is a very aggressive place, you know, the game comes from there, and um, it's okay to be bully in rugby. You know, it's okay to to fuck you up for fun, <laughs> <laughs> basically, because um, it's you know it's part of the you, you, you know at school you're not allowed to play football you have to, you know there's only rugger you know um, rugby and and it's yeah it's cauliflower ears all the way you know. Um, which I just, you know, I'm so fucking so much like a pansy that I, you know, that I'm just the, the pure piss take of like all of that, really. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, if, you know, I just don't even like going there anymore. It's so fucking aggressive, you know.
0: Yes, well, absolutely. Yeah, it's
1: okay you'd be bullied because it's kind of ingrained into everybody because of the game. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a massive sport, you know.
0: Yes, you know, I know. You game I, I um, yes, sports were quite tricky at times, weren't they? You had to, um, it wasn't about this. It was always a bit of a shock when you realised there was another another aspect of most games, which, you know, um, was that people could just kick you and you go, that's a foul. And they say, well, don't worry about it, mate. It's like, oh, okay. You know, it's a learning curve, isn't it? So when you, um, obviously, with the dark side, you did sort of, you were very prolific for sort of four years, which must have felt. You were on it sort of 24 7, so there was no sort of other day jobs. You must have been absolutely focused on the band. And did it sort of come together with the, there was like you mentioned, Nick being this amazing frontman. Did it feel like, you know, the styles had lined up for you?
1: Well, yeah, that's why I thought it was something worth doing. You know, had a good singer, a great guitar player, and a bassman's, you know, always good on the bass. But um, pretty soon, I think we made we we made one single with Nick and then on the first tour of that first single um Nick just disappeared um was never heard or seen again for like 10 years
0: wow um
1: or halfway through the tour like after about the first week of the tour somewhere in Doncaster or Leeds maybe he did the sound check and never never made the gig um or he disappeared to get some chips and never came back, or something. I forget what happened now. But that's the thing about rugby and the bully attitude. There, you know, he felt. I know. I know that he didn't feel right about. He didn't feel. He, he's like one of the sort of. He's got. He's into punk and that, but he's got a very hippie mentality. As you know, a lot of us uh, did in those teenage years. You know, very um. What you say? Um. You know not hippie but like idealistic and naive you know um so so Nick didn't really get didn't want to you know I don't know what he wanted to do but um Bassman was quite a kind of pushy telling him this and telling him that telling him what to fucking wear you know so um um so Nick just fucked off and then Bassman took up the role of being the the singer he likes really good songs but you know I never really felt happy as him being a performing singer. You know, no. He does what he does, good, good in that, but it's not, it's on its own level, in a level of its own, but it's not really, you know, it wasn't you know, a massive future in that, I
0: don't think. Did you, um, because I know with um, Fleetwood Mac had a lot of sort of, kind of quite a famous kind of moments where they lost a lot of members, you know, at the, I think it was the early 70s after Peter Green, those yeah, people who... It sort a of good went- call,
1: actually, Fleet, Fleetwood Mac, because I think a similar thing happened with our group. Mm. You see, the guy that was um, managing us, he's passed now, but he set up a tour around the UK, and, <laughs> um, you know, uh, all, the tour, the, 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 all the tours would be set up as, as drops for, like, you know, car- bin liners for the fucking, you know, hash or you know, like, um, you know, uh, all kinds of, di- just, just like, you know, he was like a maniac guy who would be doing, you know, like these huge fucking drug deals, um, on the side, really. And that kind of split up the band. You know, before we went on tour, we'd go and meet Pablo Escobar's cousin. Um, and like, we were all waiting in the car while he fu- fucking, you know, <laughs> come out with something the size of a fucking baseball, you know, And um, then, you know, we'd hit the road and they'd all be drop-off points, you know. Right. So that's what really fucked the band up because, you know, it wasn't conducive to to any kind of, you know, it was insane already, you know, but without that that as well, you know, it's the time when the first E's started coming over from New York and that, you know. And we had, you know, we had plenty. (laughs) We had sheets of acid and, you know, just, you know, just, you know, like, so yeah, best him, he's passed now. The last few few years ago, but he's he a mad, a fucking mad guy.
0: So He'd be driving
1: did... like 150 miles an hour, as flat back, flat out as the fucking thing could go, like with all you know, like you you, you wouldn't it, it'd be in in a, you know like in a time when like very little regard for safety and um and, you know <laughs> you know it's just just a crazy time. Yeah.
0: yeah, and did um and did he have a Background in band management before he found you.
1: No, no. Um, but he was
0: just a kind of a bit of a, a drug pusher. Thought just an
1: entrepreneur, like a very. Uh, he, he was a guy. That he, he, he sort of he'd been on the team for quite a while. He knew Sid mum. mum He was there actually when Sid mum was flat got busted. Well, no, he just left. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know. Um, so he, he was. You know, they called him Sid. You know. His name wasn't Sid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. God, that was that was yeah. a very sort of um enlightened. So did you I mean with the with Nick, you know, you were saying that you were just about to do a tour, he went just disappeared in the same No, chip.
1: Halfway through the tour. We oh. didn't like, have weeks worth of gigs, we had two or three weeks to go and we suddenly had to put a new set together, you know, that night to carry on like because we 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 fucking rented a van and you know I think for the first one we rented it. And, you know, we, you know, we were on you know, we we couldn't stop, you know.
0: Stop. No. We
1: had to keep on going. And like, you know, that, that became the birth of the first album, All That Noise, because we were just like on the spot. We had to think of something to play. And that that, that set came together as like on the tail end of that tour, really.
0: Yes, I can, I can see that was, that was quite So then, you know, when you met him sort of, decade later did you um did he tell you what happened
1: i haven't actually met him although we've corresponded a couple of times by email and he sent me a cdr of his latest um, um stuff
0: yeah
1: i haven't met him i haven't actually see, seen him um and a couple someone has i forget who he's written a book about ufos and I'm, I'm, I'm aware that's on amazon and um, uh, uh nick hayden's 1001 Mysteries About UFOs or something like this.
0: <laughs> right. Blimey. i
1: fucking hat stand.
0: Blimey. So, so obviously you did the L God, and did you have the same manager for that sort of four years?
1: No, the manager um, crashed yeah, about into the third year and then we just carried on for another year or so without a yeah. manager. Um, and finally, just basically weren't we none of us were very happy with what we were doing and how it was going, and we just called it a day um you know I had young uh uh, uh young children um, uh, I was much more interested in spending time with than you know yeah uh, so they're going around in a van with a band
0: you know a van with a band i know with with the sort of the (laughs) the, the promise of riches and sort of fame but i guess (laughs) and did you i mean when I when, i was going to say when you were sort of during that period you know there was obviously you know those bands like my bloody valentine and loop and um, yes, that that kind of there was a bit of a noise scene and a bit of shoe gazing scene. Did you, did did that ever sort of come into your consciousness that you know being part of that scene, or were you just completely out there? In a no,
1: different... no, we we're, we're, were all quite 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 good friends. We looped played in rugby, at a couple of shows. We did like a big all day rave, you know, with the light show and stuff um, in the local uh, town hall a few, a few times, like a couple of years running at Christmas and Easter, I think. Luke came up and played um, uh, Telltale Hearts, um, a bunch of bands, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: MBV, I love all the way since I first heard their first record. And um, you know, Deb's a friend of mine, Um, and Kevin too. You know, if I see him around, you know, we'll sort of have a chat. He's lovely. Yes. Um, Huge, (laughs) massive respect for those those guys. You know, you made me realise, fucking, what's not to like.
0: Um, (laughs) Or feed me with your kisses. Amazing. Yeah, 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 it was All a, of it, yeah. a. So, did you? I mean, were you having to at this stage? Because you mentioned, you know, needing to, you know, quitting the band because you had enough of being in a band in the van, traveling the country with a dodgy manager. Did you? Did you start to feel like you needed to also change your sort of habits and, you know, lifestyle?
1: Well, I kind of had uh, by that time calmed calm down quite a lot. You know, I, 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 I'd, um, you know, I'd met met. Um, met a young lady and you know we 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 were together for a, for eight years actually It's a long time ago the, the mother of my first my eldest son daughter um is thirty now next to my son he's amazing um, as his his sister you know my yeah. I, I, you know I, I, you know one of the if if i have to if i have to i don't regret anything but if i had to regret one thing I had to choose one thing to regret. I would regret um, not marrying his mother when I had the chance. <laughs> Basically, okay. um, you know, uh, but you know, things just didn't work out like that. And I'm quite happy now. You know, this 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 six months, nearly seven months of um, isolation, uh, lockdown. It's been great. I'm I'm really starting to get used to it now. Yeah. I've never been on my own for such a long time. I live on my own here, and. um it's, I'm starting to like it
0: <laughs> it's great yeah. yes and um, okay. and then you from from the band and you sort of obviously parted waves after three albums which is still impressive did you did you have a break for music before sort of then you, you went off to Rome didn't you
1: I still had all my friends. We we still played music the whole time. We've always played music, like with my friends, you know, uh, at the time in rugby. Yeah, I went to Italy um, after a while and, and carried on making music there, you know. Um, stayed in Italy for about three years in Rome. It was amazing. Um, and I did some demos with a friend over there. Uh, and I was, um, you know, I was unsure what to do, really. and a friend of mine worked in a TV uh, company over there, was friends with Muff Winwood. so um sent him my demo, and he wrote back a really cool letter saying, yeah, it's great, you know, um, what you need to do is get back to London, get yourself tied up with a record company and an agent and, 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 and go for it. So, you know, the next opportunity, um, I, that's what I did, you know. Been in London ever since, really.
0: Yes. And then... 20 years. 20 years. Did you... And it was like two thousand and four you got your first solo album together, so was that quite a m- moment in your life you know, or did it just feel like the next musical progression? this was psychedelic um youbi
1: well in in those days um you know I was on a massive bender at that time um I, I, the the in the like the turn of you know nineteen ninety nine into two thousand um, it was a massive party for about six months. <laughs> the bin liner full of these you know, um, down in Brighton on New Year's Eve. You know, it was great. Um, but yeah, the album came out of like you know that. Uh, it started out. It's I started working on it in Italy, and I went back to Italy to, to do some stuff on it as well. I got um, a, again a friend a friend over there was um, very friendly with Ennio Morricone's daughter, and um, the maestro heard my songs. And really liked him, but he was a you know he he's he sort of at that point because he thought that I, well I did have a jungle records in London that were were kind of you know keeping an eye on what I was doing. Um, he thought um, that maybe you know that it, well it was just way out of, out of my league. You know it would have been a ten grand. Um, he wanted ten grand for me to, for him to produce my my album. Uh, the, the best I could get together was like four hundred quid, which I got the, 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 the um, a quartet from his orchestra—the the bass uh, and viola and violins—to um, come down. I wrote out my stuff for them, and, and, and they they played from the uh, quartet from Morriconi's Morricone's uh, Academia uh, in Rome. Wow, uh, but yeah, but somewhere I've got uh, on, on mini disc. <laughs> I've got the answer machine message of him going, Bonjour, you somewhere, somewhere in your, yeah, and he, he goes on to say how much he likes the songs and stuff. <laughs> you know, somewhere, if I had a mini disc player,
0: I could get it out, but it's somewhere in a box here. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you, uh, you know, was was your no. were your sort of. Um... But did you have sort of moments where you just go like that's it half the year bender, then half the year recovering? I mean, did you sort of keep that going for a bit in that kind of way, or did you? Was that the last time you sort of had a massive bender? Uh, <laughs> oh dear!
1: Um, well, I, 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 you know, I've got. Um, I don't really. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm not as young as I was, you know, and I don't go on massive benders anymore. Um, really. But um, you know, you read about the other two in the in, in the enemy, yeah? what did you think about it? What did you expect from the drummer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't know. Um, no, I uh, well, you know, I'm you know I'm rolling a joint right now. That's about it really. Yes. You
0: know?
1: I've I've got some stuff, I've got i I've got some acid and I've got some DMT stashed as as well, but um I haven't really felt like taking it because i'm here on my own the whole time you know and i was only just these last few weeks and i started to feel a bit more relaxed and a bit better and i'm, I'm you know i'm obviously haven't got it so because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though i you know um yeah no i i have got a couple of serious serious uh, things wrong with me but uh, not that not right. COVID nineteen, I don't
0: think. Oh God! Thank God! felt you just toothache. So then, were you always trying to sort of get the next band or next album together? Is that something that's always kind of part of your life? Because after you did the psychedelic Ubik, you then sort of it was quite a gap before you were on Fire Records and you did call, the Call of the Cosmos.
1: Well. It's not something. It, 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 in the early two thousands, I was quite keen on getting a band together, but in London, that's really hard to do. Um And I've had plenty, plenty bands. You know, I spent you know a long time teaching people to play the same ten songs. You know, but uh no, I'm not really. Uh, these days, uh, it's not. It's not like I'm trying to to make an album in trying to hurry, to, it, it's just, I'm plodding along and, you know, when when it's when it's ready, it's ready, you know. I, I don't see the the point in trying to make art for commercial reasons, you know. Um, you know, there's got to be a deadline and there's got to be money paid to here, there and everywhere, and you know, you've got to have some backing and, you know, it's it's all just capitalist bullshit when you get to the end of it, cause, you know. Yeah, you know, I believe you're getting paid for the work that you do. But like the new single that we're doing, we're um I've I've done this limited run of cassettes, but we're doing a f- fifty copies of a seven inch of the same two two tracks that's gonna be ready in October, the end of October. Ready for the end of sober October. <laughs> 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 uh, thing properly with, uh, you know it's kind of a bit you know is it, it, your acid fried how, how do you like your acid fried sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind yes of um, uh, the new stock, the, the new you know like I said i just taken stock of the cassettes today it sounds great I'm really really happy with the, the, the way that the, the the tape sounds
0: yes and I think it's
1: going to sound quite different on vinyl next month as well yeah 50 only though to start with and um that's going to be with the cycle lovers um, guy uh, guys um they've got a weird beard record company um lovers um, die and um, uh, didn't and yeah
0: yeah so so when you were just going slightly back without going too far back, but the call cool of the cosmos when you got that yeah. album out for on fire records how what was the sort of the process, and how long did that take from sort of Well,
1: it came out out twice before it came out on Fire Records. It came out on Rock Pete's label first from Camden Town an Out on the Floor record shop. Um, And then, well, Pete Pete pressed up 250 clear vinyl albums, which we did quite shortly. And then I pressed pressed up, I can't remember now, 500 CDs. Um, which we got rid of. And then when, when I was getting the distributor and cargo to distribute the CDs for me, they passed me on to Fire, who called me up the next day and said, oh, yeah, can we have that? You know, and they chucked a load of cash at me. It was great. Those guys are amazing. <laughs> 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 you know, I'd already sold the copies that I thought I was going to sell on the first run, you know.
0: Yes, but, yeah,
1: they got they got a little bit of press and they got me a couple of tours which went terribly pear shaped, you know. In a way, I didn't realise that I was only being signed on a reissue uh, contract in a way. So I thought I was going to get another record out on Fire, but it, they weren't really up for that. And I can see why, you know, I'm a bit difficult to work with, really.
0: Yes,
1: a bit young bands will do anything for any for nothing, you know, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, do you, so. So, with your latest kind of, did you say it's a sort of single that you've got coming out at the moment? Yeah. So it's a single,
1: when d- uh, right?
0: And I was going to say, when did you um, go in the studio and record that?
1: Well, it, it was done in two two sessions, quite spread apart. Actually, um, the the actual tracking was done about two years ago. Uh, in a studio in in South London, and Goldtop Studios, the, the Goldtop Studios, the studio that I'd been working with like for 20 years, but a couple of weeks after recording the tracking, the captain of the studio, one of my best friends, um, just out of nowhere, just kicked the bucket and, and you know and died of um, died like overnight without any forewarning. So I, you know, it was a bit upsetting, and the studio's now de- finished. You know, it was like. Um so um it took me a long time to actually want to actually play the damn things. Uh, again, you know. It was, it was a good day, you know, Jim Slavunos from the Bad Seeds is playing drums. Um and um, yeah. Got the gold top guys playing uh, Matt Rapid on bass, he's an amazing, upright bass player. Um, Nick Lowe was down at the, uh, at, at, on the day as well. He's, he, he was the uh, last time I saw Nick, I think. But yeah, so a couple of years went by and, and I sort of got them out. I've got my own studio here here in, my, uh, here in, in, in East London, so uh, in my place. I've you know, got all the things I need. You know. um, so I, I, I kind of finished it off here, which is... is Basically, how I've done all the records that I've made, you know, you get the drums down, you know, in in a place where it's okay to play loud drums if you if you should want, you know.
0: Yeah. Or not,
1: and then um, you know, put the rest of the stuff on offline, uh, 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 you know, not at full full hourly rate, you know. Well, there is that. there well, there is an exception to that as well. The last single that I made was the um, the Johnny Ace ten inch. That is actually live in the studio with no overdubs whatsoever, um, which I just wanted, again, it was a different way of doing it, so I wanted to try and see if I could make a decent enough record without throwing the kitchen sink at it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Johnny Ace, uh, The Lonesome Death of Johnny Ace, it's um, something that, well, yeah, it's on Trash Wax Records, came out on a 10-inch vinyl.
0: Yeah. It's on the
1: band camp, well, and um, Sterling Roswell 2020 band, band camp.
0: So has this period? Because I remember speaking, speaking to Hank Wangford. He was an old oh, chap. Love,
1: love, Sam. He's great.
0: So yeah. um, he is—he is the man, isn't he? Especially because uh, he was telling me about his time when he was a GP and had people like Graham Parsons and Keith Richards to um, slightly sort out in various ways, yeah. as you could imagine. Yes, they interest in times being a GP in the sixties. But then he said. He's not feeling it during this lockdown so much, you know, creatively, because he just had an album that he was going to come out. How are you, how have you sort of been coping? Because you said that, you know, you're sort of getting quite used to it now.
1: Well, I'm just not putting any pressure on myself to do anything. I'm just letting it happen rather than try to make something happen. Just like I'm sitting and trying to think, well, because there is, there is, you know, like, God knows what the hell's going on, really. And every conspiracy theory could be completely correct, or none of them. You just can't never. You couldn't, just can't tell. You know you, who, who the hell knows these days? What the, you know? Anything is possible. <laughs> so yeah. Well, yeah, I, I made a record with Sam um, about oh, I don't know 15 years ago. We, I, I did the engineering for a week on on his uh, Lost Cowboys album. Excellent. DJ Cole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing and um it was it was it, it was when they were they were they this is a good story they they were all like on the first day of being at the gold top studios which was actually in camden at that point the first first version of the studio that we built out of um jungle records old um vinyl warehouse when they used to, uh, from before when they used to distribute um, and they stopped doing that and um, so we took over their warehouse and um all the guys like B J cole martin belmont um um, Sam, they're all chatting about the very first time they'd been in the studio because um, our studio was so fucking funky. Yeah? <laughs> it was like you know we made it ourselves and it was great. Nick Lowe was um, come down there. We made a record with Sky Saxon there. You know? but so Sam says, "Oh yeah, the first time I was in the studio was um, was um, the Rocky. and I was like, "What? Um, you're you're um, Boeing Davine?" And he's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that Boeing Deveen thing, the Beautiful Soup single?
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, the reading of Jabberwocky. So it turns out the backing band is Sibara and the Floyd. No one knew that. <laughs> God, they go, that... galoof, galay, galay. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Excellent. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can remember. So, yeah, that's
1: amazing. But yeah, I've got the same thing. I'm not feeling, I can't see the point anymore. You know, like we, I don't think next year is going to be any any easier to get a gig than it is this year. And to be honest, last year I was at my peak and I was actually firing on all cylinders last year. I got some reviews from gigs which like I haven't had in 20 years. You know, I normally get good record reviews but like it's been a long time since somebody reviewed a gig and fantastically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, and I, th- I think like, you know, I, don't, I can't see, you know, a few of my friends are, are looking at doing shows and tours and stuff and re, re-patching it together for next year. But I'm not really that, I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not bothered anymore. Yes. Um, if, it, if something happens, great. But I'm not, you know, going to try and bend myself backwards and, you know, into contortions or anything to try and do anything. I just don't see the point. Like, it's been a good time for getting like you know you know some kind of reflection reflecting on what all this is about you know i am great here i can you know i can you know I can swing a cat and I can think and hear my own you know you know i've got no nobody expecting anything from me to do you know I've got no partner anymore you know she left so it's a long time ago so you know. so I'm quite, yes you know, I'm, Quite kind of sort of thinking. Well, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? And you know, uh, so yeah, I've just been doing little bits of things. You know, I've got some paintings going. I'm making some poster prints. And you know, I've got a big bag in front of me here that's you know got a bunch of stuff that's going to the post office tomorrow. It's been actually quite okay. I found that, you know, since I figured out how to do Bandcamp and upload a picture that's 1400 by 1400, like you know, God, that was such a conundrum.
0: <laughs> yes i know it, it's 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 strangely hard isn't it if if no one's yeah, told might let
1: you do it for ages because you know, i have my latest laptop i don't have any graphics stuff on it at all so um i blew up a couple of laptops over the last couple of years while well, my kids did so yeah. um this latest one's just got music software on it uh, and that's how it's staying kind of thing um so, yeah, uh, and I i found it's been actually okay. Like, you know, not, not massive, but, you know, you know, like, I've got a few people, you know, as soon as I announced that the, the, the cassette was going out tomorrow, you know, within a few minutes, I, you know, i sold four of them. You know, it was great. Yeah. That's
0: One's amazing. One's going to
1: Hattiesburg, Mississippi. One's going to um, um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. P- P- Pittsburgh, PA, sorry. Um Couple are going around the UK,
0: and that's yeah. exactly you
1: know that the, the, those the pre-orders in fact have paid for the um, pay, paid for the, the the short run, you know.
0: Yes, so that's good. Yeah. So look, just last one, just just before you know you have to head off. Um, what you know, if you could say something to an eighteen-year-old self, I just wondered what you would say. To so, you know, before if you could have the... said you know if you you know with with your decades of um um yeah experience i just wondered if you were you know if you could have been told something you know or you know you, you know what you've sort if of you'd
1: have understood something better at 18
0: yeah if try so not, if you could if you could have, if you if you, if yeah, you could have had yeah, someone yeah. whisper something in your ear um yeah yeah
1: uh, yeah it it would be a don't put all your eggs in one basket, son. <laughs> 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 you know, because I've got like music this, music that. I can engineer music. I know how the back of an amplifier works, and I know how the front of a microphone works, and I know how to play a song, and I know how to. It's all within one particular field, whereas like some other friends of mine have also got like a, a B a B plan. Or a day job, whereas you know they they program somebody's database for them. To spend a couple of days doing it and pick up a couple of thousand pounds, you know. Um, so something like that. So it's like totally outside music. I, I would say pursue as a parallel thing, you know. Or if you have to do music, then get involved with the business side of it as well. Then. Because um, I don't know. Well, I, I I don't think I, I don't I don't know really what what else just do what you want to do you know but you know it's very hard to tell or advise anybody to do something especially when you're that young
0: Yes, that's um, true it's true well look
1: I had, I had i had my folks telling me that i couldn't play guitar you see so um you know, can't play guitar you know so that really really got me going to, to actually try and prove that i could can play guitar
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that was mean conversation with sterling roswell find out more about all his musical life and more anyway um if you want to know any more information just google sterling roswell and i do believe he's on facebook he probably mentioned that as well anyway thank you for listening this has been david Eastall, the c86 show you can contact me on facebook twitter instagram just do c86 show and also these have all been archived and you can find those on spotify itunes podbean Check it out. Anyway, have a great week.